All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again, as always, with Kelly. However, we are out of time this week. Hello. We are we are recording <laughs> right now in the present. It so happens to be Kelly's birthday. Winnie was just wishing you happy birthday over there. She was, yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Kelly. I think it's the first Thanks. time we've recorded on your birthday. Ooh. Yeah, I was just trying to remember. I think we might have recorded on your birthday one year. Possibly, yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is this is great. We're recording... You're in the podcast closet again. I am in my hometown of Manassas, Virginia, in a, my parents' den, I guess you would call it. Uh, I don't know what to call this place. I'm going to call it Bull Run, I guess, because that's the creek that runs through. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm coming from Bull Run. You're coming from the podcast closet. We actually got together and have already recorded our... We did two things uh, on my visit out there to Portland. We um, did like a, a nature podcast about butterflies. So hopefully at some point you'll hear that. Um, And we also did an episode, which we'll tell you what we did afterwards. So next step, next time you're going to be hearing our drunken St. Patrick's Day annual celebration. But we painted ourselves into a corner because we said we would be back with 126, which is this episode. And then we lost track of time and it's been busy. We've been busy. I have not talked to you in a a long time and you've been in portland and south dakota and now in virginia so like i i wow how did your drives go so many drives it was a long drive you can hear about the first part of my drive next week which would have been super in the past and now you can hear about the the (laughs) second part of the drive first which is how time works Uh, it was good i drove i drove it all in one fell swoop and i was lucky to have a full moon so now i had a full moon so i was like pumped and it was good it was good except when you get to west virginia it becomes like a clusterfuck of tolls and you just try to like make it through without paying anything. And, you know, I got here at like four in the morning, so it was late, but it was it was good. You know, and I've been here now for two weeks. I was out there for a week and there's a week between that. So, yeah, it's been a month since we last touched base. Yeah. I wonder what, how that nature documentary on butterflies went. Um, well, we'll see. Never know. How, did, but you stopped when you on your way back to South Dakota, right? I drove all the way through. Yes. No, I drove back. I did hit snow, but it was in Wyoming. I should not have gone south. I should have gone north. Huge mistake. And then I was, you know, you're in the blackness, just like in the snow that keeps piling up. And you're like, I just got to keep going. You can't turn back. The town is 30 miles away. I was right outside of Sheridan. Remember where we got stakes and stuff when we were on our way? So it was right after we left Sheridan in Wyoming. And it's just blankness, you know, for hundreds of miles. And this was like at two in the morning at that point, maybe one in the morning. And it was just like, what am I going to do? But luckily it cleared away and I was good. But it was definitely a harrowing drive total. Yeah. But I did leave a little later, which ended up being kind of nice. So I survived, though. And now I survived to podcast another day. Thank Kelly, God. this is a podcast about Bob Dylan. We spend a whole week, in this case, well over a month talking about the song, <laughs> thinking about the song. When I was out there, we even played the song because we had already been listening to it for two weeks. And now we had another month to muse on it. So this is going to be this is going to be a grand old episode, grand old time. I have been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the cartridge-based film format introduced by Kodak in 1963, made popular by their Instamatic cameras, but as of 2008, is no longer being manufactured. And this week, we listened to the excellent 1978 Changing of the Guards.
All right, Kelly, we spent the entire six weeks listening to Changing of the Guards. Uh, before we get into it, I want to shout out our newest patron, Bob R. Thanks what? so much, Bob. Yeah, he left us a, a message on, uh, I think, take a message to Mary, not Marie, uh, one of our last episodes before the end of all of this. And he commented about Queen the Eskimo. And, you know, we talked about the um, live performance and talked about that. And he just left a nice message about, uh, you know, about the pod. So I want to shout out Bob R as the newest member of the SOTW squad. And he is, uh, you know. He is the sponsor of Changing of the Guards. Not a bad Thanks, place Bob to be R. in, Bob. I mean, that's like, honestly, I got to say, we do a lot of our patrons dirty, unfortunately, because they dirty. Just, it's the luck of the draw. But man, Bob R., thank you. And you're welcome also. So Yeah, absolutely. And you're really sneaking in. Uh, you, It's funny, too, because next episode is brought to us by another subscriber of our Patreon. And they're getting done dirty in their heads because they should have been this time. Yeah. Based on the number, but you know, we're out of we're out of time here. They still got a good one. It's okay. It is, it is. And this is the only time we're gonna reference it because we already recorded the thing in the past, Kelly, so we can't reference again that we did it here. You see, it's just too confusing. Talk about confusing. <laughs> Kelly, we listened to Changing of the Guards this week. What was <laughs> your uh Ugh. Yeah, how was how was your um, six weeks with this song? And I mean, we did learn to play it. In fact, you were going through the chords and stuff while we were just hanging out doing next week's song um, or next episode song. How was your how was your six weeks with the with this tune? Uh, I did learn to play it, kind of. Uh, I'll go into that later. But um, I really, really like this song. This might be my favorite one we've done this year, which is uh, surprising to myself because I thought that I would would like uh some other songs more than I did but yeah it's it just like it keeps giving like I couldn't I know we'll talk about this but I couldn't find like a, a clear narrative so I was just like const- every time I listened to it I was searching for more clues to the picture and just like it's so evocative but without telling you what's going on directly so you can really let your mind wander and musically there's just like so much going on anyway I really really enjoyed it even at six and a half minutes I was never bored uh, not once. And we've listened to it for six weeks. So great. song. Yeah. Great song. Great song. And I totally feel exactly the same way. And I hope to impart some, some knowledge and some, some tidbits and stuff that we can really suss that out because yeah, this is a huge, a huge song for me. I fucking love this song, but just for a little bit of context, just things we should know before we get into the episode. Um, this is the first song on street legal, the 1978 record recorded on the 25th of April, 1978, but it was not, it's not in circulation, so we don't know what that's like. And it was officially recorded two days later on the 27th, um, along with a couple of other tracks from that. So we don't have the full rundown tapes, if you will, just the final, you know, how many times did they play it? We don't really know. Uh, first song that was written for Street Legal, we've talked a lot about songs being like the template, Blood on or Tangled Up in Blue being a template for what was to come with Blood on the Tracks. And, and this obviously is that too. So there's a lot of evidence. This is the first song that he worked out for what became Street Legal. And you can really hear it in a couple of the really epic songs in the, on that record and not really in some of the sentimental songs on the record. It's a really like good song, bad song, good song, bad song type of record. Um, like I said, this song is on The Greatest Hits Volume 3, so it's enough to be on his greatest hits. Um, it is a part of that first um, the two the two album Dylan like official compilation of his career that came out in the early 2000s. And this was the first time I ever heard the song was on that compilation. Um, I think the other thing to know would be this is his first post-divorce album. Um, at this point, he's hanging out in Minnesota with a lady um, named Faridi McFree. Uh, she used to be their kid's teacher. So 
Uh, he's hanging out with her, and she was the first person to kind of hear these songs. And she uh, notes later on that he it was very painful for him to sing these songs. And that sort of like longing for peace at the end of this song in particular, she really empathized with um, him trying to like work through what it is that's going on in this song. Um, a lot of Street Legal, we've talked about it before, the post-production. There is no post-production basically for this record because it was a live sound. That's why we get the weird fade in. And it was, before the 90s, an incredibly abrupt fade out um, to end the song. But now, um, in 1999, when they remastered everything, it really made it sound really good. Like, I've grown up in a world where Street Legal sounds great, and I have a great opinion of it. But apparently, people, it was really, really bad at the time. Uh, so it sounds really great to me. And, and we now have that extended outro, uh, which I think is also yeah, really Yeah, really I was lovely. wondering about that. So I was like, why is there just a, an instrumental extra verse thrown in at the end? It's very strange. Because I thought they would go straight to the chorus or the refrain part. But because formula-wise, they had done verse, verse, chorus, verse, verse, chorus, it was like, oh, he only did one verse at the end. This is an odd number of verses. Shit, we'll just do an instrumental one. It was we'll I was not expecting it. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was, and apparently before it would have just been like, Changing of the guards, boom, we're done. So, and this huh. was the first single. I mean, it didn't chart. It didn't make it to the Billboard Top 100. Um, so, you know, it might have been a little too long. I mean, it is a little wild. It's a wild song. Uh, yeah. He did perform it 68 times total, all of them during the 1978 tour. However, it did not make it onto Budokan, which is the one sort of official document of that tour that we have. Huh. Um, he, you know, he probably played it there in um, Japan because there was like five or six shows there that they called from, you know, to make the Budokan record, but. They just chose not to put this one on. I mean, it definitely That's wasn't a, a very popular song. I agree. It was a mistake. And we have a live version from Nashville that we'll mm -hmm. talk about in a minute that I think owns. And I guess in a minute, a minute's here. So let's talk about like the music before we get into the lyrics and all like the meat of it. You know, you actually sat down and played this. I mean, you played it really convincingly when we were just hanging out. So something that kind of stuck in your head. I mean, it's a weird song structure, too. So. Yeah, musically, the song's really interesting, and it. I'm glad that you brought up that Street Legal has, uh, has the buff, full Buffy effect where it's like great and terrible because I could see if if all this all the themes of that album are in here, especially we're working with like instruments wise, this could go bad really quick because we've got yes. so much. We've got that I think it's a, a Wurlitzer organ, but I can't tell. Either way, it's a big ass organ sound. We've got congas, we've got bongos, we've got. Uh, uh -huh. subtle electric guitar we've also got an acoustic guitar we've got the backup singers we've got really big bass and like all there's just so much shit going on and a saxophone which i and sax. usually not one to enjoy i think really works on this song but it does for me walk the line of cheesy bad like saxophones mm -hmm. it's like can really go either way so i could see how all this combined could really not work on a lot of songs so it has to be the exact right thing the exact right tempo and i think that um the instruments they chose to highlight on this track it's all rhythm section heavy right like it's the bass is big the organ is big uh, and and the percussion not only of the congo and um and bongo drums and stuff but the the nature the rhythm of the song itself is very percussive um so yeah. uh, i'll i'll demonstrate that for you um, oh, yeah. And if, you know, because this is my contribution to the podcast. The song's in the key of A flat major. Uh, it's in standard tuning with a capo on the first fret. Okay, thank you. Incredible. Incredible. Point this down a little bit. Okay. Wow. Aggressive tapping. All right. So it's only a couple chords. 
as a lot of Bob Dylan's songs tend to be, or rather yeah. all pop music writ large. Um, but we got we got G, D, E minor, A minor, and C. Mm. That's about it. All, all the good stuff. All the good stuff. All the first couple chords you, you learn, really. So, um, so yeah, that big percussive opening. Oh, I guess I should talk into the microphone. Um, it's because the guitar is actually really subtle and kind of hidden in the mix. It The rhythm that I'm going to play is not what the guitar is actually doing in the song, but it sounds the most like the song after the fact, right? Because, like, okay. it's basically just big strummed open chords on the lyrics. So it's just like... And that, like, that's what the guitar is doing. Um, just those single big open chords. Um, but if you want to actually play it and sound like a song, because all you have is your guitar, you got to play it more like this. So, but yeah, that big percussive. I just love that. It sounds so that it's just like so so punchy, so good. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to play. I would say this is as far as like skill level you need. Ugh. I would say most beginning guitar players could play this song. This is probably one of my favorite easy to play Bob Dylan songs because of that that it just got such a great rhythmic nature to it. Yeah, it um, feels good. So yeah. If you're just learning guitar uh, or if you're an expert, I'm sure you mm-hmm. can do a lot of fun stuff with it. But I think that this is a, a great song to – I think when you're first learning guitar, it's, it's easy to just get in these rote patterns. Or, or even as long as you play guitar, you where you have a tendency to just keep playing the same things over and over again. So if you're really working on chord changes but you don't just want to do like, okay, I'm just going to the next chord and the next chord, it's good to find songs that will give you examples of things that you need to work on. So this is a great open chord transition song if you're just trying to learn – Anyway, that's a yeah. lot of guitar stuff for no reason, but great song, fun to play. Yeah, no, it's, that's fantastic, Kelly. Thanks so much for playing. That sounded great. That sounded like you had six weeks of practice and not thirty minutes. Sounded great. <laughs> you know who else had a little bit of practice? Uh, Bob Dylan uh, on the song. Just to shout out everybody playing. We got Billy Cross on guitar, Stephen Souls on guitar, Jerry Schiff on bass, Ian Wallace on drums, who does a great job. Uh, the, the singers are Helena Springs, Joanne Harris, and Carolyn Dennis, of course, um, during this era at the pretty much the stalwarts. Uh, we got Bobby Hall on congas, Alan Pasqua doing everything on the organ. You there? Can't hear you at all. Nice. 
Dave Mansfield on mandolin. So that's in there too, or, or he's playing some other instrument. And then Steve Douglas, of course, is on the alto saxophone. Um, and like you said, it sort of skirts that line between cheesy and not cheesy. Now there is a big band version. Uh, the only two differences I can find from the 25th and the set 27th when he records this are Charles B. Finley playing a trumpet. So that is not in this version. Uh, and Pasqua had gone from the keyboards then to the organ that he plays here. So that could have also really, I mean, that sound, that organ sound is everywhere at parts of the song. And if it wasn't there, that would be, that would be strange, just like having a trumpet. So I would love to hear that version because it seems like there's probably a huge difference um, in terms of quality with that. Do we know who's playing the guitar on the live version? Because holy shit, the, like the energy that comes in the live version is like sh- it's shred time. I mean, because like they're doing here. Let me see if I can try to do it. They're doing that thing. Like there's a word for it that I don't know because I'm not a real musician. But where oh, I lost just, you. Like, going like. Let's see. Did I hit it? Am I here? Hello? Oh, I just hung up on you. <laughs> I can actually find really quick who who did do that. Uh, one second here. It's also interesting. The live version is like a little bit longer, but the tempo is faster. I don't know. It's like it's aggressive. I, I was having a hard time deciding which version I like better because like it's really punchy. And the guitar, the, having that forward electric guitar is really fun, but... I don't know if it's better than the original version. It's just very cool. I'm glad that that second version exists. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it, and I love the ending too when Bob, I mean, just talking about the video, when Bob just walks off the stage and just leaves, I thought that was mm-hmm. fucking amazing. So so yeah, I think it's actually everyone is exactly the same. So everybody playing on that is playing on that. Who Now, if it's Billy Crosser, Oh, or cool. Stephen Souls doing the guitar work because that that little solo before we went back into it was fucking brilliant, and I wish that was kind of part of the song. Like I, I just wish that there was more soloing, I guess, because they do a great job, right? So, um, yeah. But yeah, no, the live version was great. It, it felt different. It felt like real. It felt raw. It felt alive. I loved it. Bob's fro was fantastic. I can't help it. I would have loved to have been at the show. It seemed like everyone was having a goddamn ball. They were having a great time losing their fucking minds. So I really, really like that. And that was, um, he came out for one more song after that, I'll Be Your Baby Tonight, which is a much slower song. But um, I love that, you know, they left him waiting for another encore because Bob was like, see ya, I'm leaving. Um, yeah, well, that's why like, I assumed that he probably came out for another song, but he he did the classic thing where he's like, okay, good night, bye. I was like, this is a great song to end on. It's a great song to end on. Yeah, I mean, he might have actually come out with I'll Be Your Baby just with his guitar. I mean, it, it could have been that, too. I, I don't know exactly how they arranged it, but yeah, it's, it's fucking great. I wish that this was on an official release the whole time I was watching it. It's like, um, it's incredible. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. There's not a whole lot of videos from 78, you know, video videos. And this was actually part, this Masters of War and Mr. Tambourine Man, 
you see in the middle, like right in between, like halfway through the video, you see a little Italian like pop up that pops in. It's it was aired on uh, Italian TV. That's where this is being ripped from because huh. uh, this was trying to tell you, hey, at Budokan, it's available now. Here's some Bob Dylan songs. And it's like, how dare you? Nice. How dare you say that this is a part of that when you know damn well this wonderful song it's is not, not part of that. And even though the backup singers, too, I feel like they're also right on the line for this song. It's just like this is one of those things that there's so many elements that shouldn't and oftentimes don't work. But it just like fucking worked for this song. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that that that's sort of that in between that you're at. Some people tip tip over the other way and are like, "It's way too cheesy. It doesn't work, and we don't like it." So this song is. There's a lot of criticism, and some of it's good. People really, really love it, and some people don't like it. Um, one writer, Oliver Tanger, who wrote um, another, not the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia, but I think Keys in the Rain, another Encyclopedia-ish book, called this song. He said um, this song quote in which Dylan unsuccessfully and cynically parodies his anthemic self. That's rude. But Michael Gray <laughs> is very open. The guy who wrote the Bob Dylan encyclopedia is way more accepting of what it was. And, and he, he, he kind of does a thing where he makes it very much about Bob Dylan, which is another through line for a lot of this shit is that it's all about Bob Dylan. But I kind of like what he's saying here because it's just kind of like at a perfect moment in Bob's life. And it's a nice like through line right before we tip over into Christian Bob and then whatever comes afterwards. Um, he says, quote, changing of the guards opens with Dylan reflecting on his own career, the time and energy spent. And at once we are back on the betrayal theme. But here the betrayal is by the world, not a woman. 16 years is the opening line as economic a statement of Dylan's career span and the weariness felt as it would be possible to make. But the song ends with a gentle attempt to explain and to urge acceptance of what is to come from the new transition. The times are a changing in a radically different way from the from before to the world, to the gentleman of the organization and to his lover. He sings that the change must come now. Either get ready for elimination or else your hearts must have the courage for the changing of the guards. And with so many interpretations and we'll talk about Jesus a little bit later. I'm so open in this song to every one of those because this song is so vague that you can put anything on it. And I love every interpretation. It feels so good because the imagery is just so like medieval show that will not be mentioned. Like, I mean, it's yeah. a reason why this was the theme song. The first thing I thought when we were, we were going to talk about game of Thrones season seven, I was like, of course, changing up the guards is absolutely the theme song. Because when I hear this, I think game of Thrones. Yeah. I just think intrigue and violence and war and sex and love, you know, and that's everything is in the song. It's amazing. So I want to ask you, what do you what do you think about the words? Were you captivated by anything? And do you see a through line? I'm going to talk about the eyes and the she's coming up, like how he uses those. But do you have like a overarching theory of what's going on or who these characters are or anything like that? I couldn't come up with one. Like I kind of mentioned at the top, there doesn't seem to be a through narrative. I the only way that I could kind of make it a cohesive thing was to uh, treat it like we do a lot of Bob Dylan songs where it's like um, sitting on a park bench song, but set in a certain time, you know, like, so it's it's medieval park bench song, right? Nice. So thematically, it's all set in the same time, probably with the same uh, characters loosely related as they are, uh, but not specifically, here's the message. And I will say, like, there are a ton of great lines in this song, which is why it, it doesn't yeah. irk me. Uh, that there's not a narrative, not that I necessarily need one. Like, I don't really care about that, but um, 
because the lines are so good on their own, it's like it doesn't matter, right? Like it's just so evocative, which is so like that's a, a real testament to like wordsmithery poet poeticism, where you can make an image, but you're not sure what the image is, but it still feels really strong. Like each each line is so good on its own. It's like, oh yeah, I see that in my mind. But then to have it instantly vanish because we're dealing with new characters immediately. But then that be so strong. It's just like, whoa, man. It's just like these little tiny stories that are so there, but you can't put your finger on it. Very interesting. Very cool. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's uh, Bob Dylan has a great quote about this. And I want to talk about like the battle star effect later on, but he himself sort of like about, Oh shit. Is it me again? I just, I mean, yeah, I can hear you. Can't hear me time, either. So. Fuck. He does. He does kind of mention about the narrative. If there is one or not one uh, in 1991, he was talking to Paul Zolo, who we've talked about on the show before, but he had a quote in there uh, talking about changing up the guards. Uh, he says, quote, a song like that. There's no way of knowing basically where it came from uh, after the fact, what the motivation was behind it, unless somebody's there to take it down in chronological order. And I think that he's talking not just about the song, but also about, you know, how, how, how could I tell you how, how the song was changed, right? No one's looking over my shoulder. I mean, we wish Dylan scholars would love to know every single movement of his brain and the way that he puts together these songs. But he's saying, unless someone was there to document me making changes, I have no idea if there is an order and if I took them out of order on purpose, who knows? I don't know. Who cares? Shut up. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, I'm, that's Bob. Right, yeah. That's Bob. Um, for me, I had a lot of like weird general vibes here. I've got uh, Black Diamond Bay, mm. episode 45 vibes, you know, where we're seeing this whole story play out. Uh, it's kind of an extension of Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. Mm. You know, a really dense song with all these characters and lots of movement. And I was tempted when we first started to just break it down verse by verse. But I want to kind of avoid that because it's can be taxing. And, you know, again, I think this song doesn't that one's way more narrative focused. This one definitely is more like it's just imagery and symbolism. And you could talk about this in 500 different ways through a different lens. And I guess I also get a Quinn the Eskimo vibe episode 124 because we've got a Messiah character showing up. You know, so maybe it's Quinn. Maybe Quinn is the person who wakes up and says, gentlemen. I think that all of those could be true. But like, because this is so like time specific for me that they don't all work. Because Whitey Quinn, I do take very much as like a modern day song for some reason. Modern for 1960, right? Um, Or not 60, whatever. Yeah. Whatever time it was written. Contemporary to that. 67. Yeah. So 67. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that, that that works, but it could be, right? Like, it could be. Awkward. Well, I'm going to lay out my theory, and I want to know what you think about it. Because we do have two characters, maybe more actually, but we definitely have one character that we know, and that's I, right? So he comes in, well, he, right? I, I say he as my shorthand, but we don't actually know, and that's the point. And this is another great Bob Dylan non-gendering mm -hmm. of characters where you're like, I can be anyone in here or be no one, I guess. I mean, who knows? Because the eye is, a, is I, he's either a narrator that you trust or he's incredibly unreliable. Because there are moments in the song where you're like, are you telling me about the Palace of Mirrors? Are you telling me about the, 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 the merchants and thieves, right? Is that your thought or is that the omnipotent narrator doing it? So there's a lot of that like element where I don't know who's telling me what at times. And I find that to be, really compelling because all of a sudden we'll just have him show up right i stepped out of the shadows to the marketplace 
And it's very familiar, but like, was he then telling us everything before that? I don't know. Um, and then there's this girl, you know, I, I seen her on the steps and I couldn't help but follow her down. Who is this girl? Who are you to this girl? Um, that's a huge question that I want to go with, with her in a second. Um, and then verse three happens where he stumbles to his feet, right? Like what did he see? Why is he stumbling all of a sudden? Right. So we, we leave with the lifting of the veil or whatever she, where she lifted her veil mm-hmm. and then we get the, dun, 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 and then all of a sudden he's like, I stumbled to my feet. Well, shit. Is this like the same moment Were you knocked out by whatever you saw underneath the veil? Was it an angel? Was it the devil? What's going on here? Um, which I thought was crazy. And then we roll into the palace of mirrors, which is like an obvious metaphor. It's where all your memories go and you got your boots of Spanish leather in there and your long hair for, you know, the girl from North country. Like they're just there. That's where the memories go. But like, is he going there to preserve memories or does the eye die inside of there? Because after he enters there, we never hear from him again. I is dead. So either the I gets resurrected as the he, the gentleman, he said, you know, the the Messiah figure who's prophesizing what needs to happen. So do we become God? Because he hears the angels voices is what I'm saying. Like the endless room, the wailing of, of chimes, the empty rooms where all memories protected, where the angels voices whisper the souls of previous times. But to me, that's contradicted because if we see this as a girl, we see this through a different lens then like it could be her or she or whatever inside of the palace. And I love the song again, because of this bullshit, like at the end of the day, I guess when I'm thinking of all of this, it sounds crazy to say it out loud, but like, I like it a lot. I like the song a lot because at the end of the day, even if we disagree completely about the song, it's pure chaos for seven verses and order for the final two verses. And if he's making a statement, especially a very simple one of like, Jesus is coming. If that is even our baseline or a Messiah is coming or whatever, or order a new order, a revolution is coming. Then the song makes total sense. It's kind of nonsense. The world is chaos for seven verses. And then order is restored for those final two. And I think that really is nice because I can't make heads or tails of the first seven, but the last two seem very clear to me when, when our dude, he is laying out the world and what needs to happen and what does happen when they triumph and and death rides off with the king and the queen of swords but still believing that his love will be repaid they shaved her head she was torn between jupiter and apollo a messenger and So I, I really, I really like that. And you get a heavy like ISIS vibe too, where you got these frozen pyramids and again, just very evocative images. And I, and I, I asked the question of like, does I go into the palace of mirrors with someone else? Is he the only one there? Like, again, really ambiguous because like with ISIS, you know, two men enter, but only one of them leaves. Right. So I don't know if, if that's happening or if there's a sacrifice happening. I'm just going to tell you, I have a hard time listening to the lyrics of songs. That's just a downfall of mine. I get trapped by the beat. I don't really pay attention. But you do have 
the lyrics. You have a booklet, famously. Yeah, no, no, I do. I do. I mean, and, and like, I always go through listening and reading the lyrics at the same time to, like, try. But, like, I lose focus so fast. Um, And so it's really hard when there's not a clear narrative anyway. I'm just like, well, I'll never know. But I, the first place I got confused was the captain. Because I was like, who's the captain? Is the narrator the captain? Is the captain someone else? So uh, for me... This is clearly, clearly, this is a battle for sure. And I I yeah. assume whoever the hero is at the end in the last two verses is somehow part of this army that's either the the ones coming in to change the, the city, right? Yeah. It's either the guy, the narrator is the person sacking the city, part of the army sacking the city or part of the army defending the city. But I would imagine it's the one sacking the city. Cause in my head, that's what it is. It's like a big battle. And then there's this little, um, yeah. Interpersonal stuff in between, right. With the, the girl and all this stuff, but it, it, that's what it is. So I think the narrator is like, but are they the captain? I don't know. And then the captain does disappear too. Yeah. But the, and there's so also not know. one narrator. That's the thing too. I mean, that's why it gets yeah. really unreliable because it could be I writing and telling about it. On that angle, but we do have an omnipotent narrator telling us things. We have an I character and we very much have a she, but the she, we also learn about the girl who shaves her head. Is that the same girl who's smells of what what, what, the meadows or whatever? Like that is completely unclear to me. And there's a lot of stuff online too, where just common analysis kind of like takes a lot of things for granted in my opinion. And I don't think that it's fucking clear at all. Because I think I think springing up like the captain and the beloved maid, you can make the case that like y- that it is the maid that's sitting there. Like the captain is looking at this woman who's beyond communication. Now that could mean that I'm longing for my beloved maid and I miss her and I love her. She's my mistress, whatever. And and she's beyond communication because of distance or she's dead and she's right, right in front of me. Right. But is that the same girl with the shave their head? Are they shaving a live person's head or are they shaving the maid's head because she's dead and like this is part of a ritual sacrifice? And I was like, well, the captain would be the captain for the king and the queen of swords, right? So and she's uh, between Jupiter and Apollo. Well, Jupiter and Apollo, I don't know much about them, but I do know that those are the old gods, right? Those are the the pagan gods. The, the gods of, of Rome, you know, they, they're not our gods. If, if we're talking about Christianity in any sense, then this is the defeat of pagan gods from the one God. You know what I mean? And if, and if that's true, then I see that I see the captain sacrificing this girl to the gods in favor to, to not to quash the revolution, basically to stop the the guy gentleman you know the, the the messiah figure in this at the end of the thing he does end up coming and and he does end up winning and i see that everything before that from the captain is sort of an extension of the old system trying their best in whatever they can sacrificing people or whatever to the old gods to try to win favor but that day is gone mm. there is no gods anymore it's just the one god the one god will make sure that the Messiah can come into this town or whatever and save the day. I don't know. That's, that's one way to look at it. Cause the eye is definitely going after somebody, but then we get the messenger who shows up. It is a woman. Is she the one who gets her hair, her head shaved, right? Because that's in the next verse. So it's completely unclear if she gets her head shaved or if 
her head was already shaved and we're at a different point in time. And is this the same messenger that's in all along the watchtower, you know, where we yeah. see a messenger yeah. coming up, right? I mean, scary. And all along the watchtower, like pervades this as well. Uh, not only with the Battlestar Galactica reference that I'm going to bring up in a bit, but like, it just, it feels medieval. And so does that. And and it's hard to put your finger exactly on it. I mean, the banners and the towers definitely help. But if you look at the whole of the lyrics, it's like, there's not a whole lot in there that are like, super medievally but it's absolutely where everybody's mind goes i think it's the the image like why it codes it as medieval not only the king and queen thing right uh but like the even just we don't call people like merchants really anymore right like that that dates it and the banners thing the banners is the biggest thing because that's like clearly a reference to a certain era of war that we don't do anymore you don't like I mean, you don't have your big ass fucking... Take out the banners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. But we do have flags. We got our flags. We I mean, do. It's kind of the yeah, same yeah. Thing, but yes. And then to evoke 16 banners means like a bunch of smaller armies coming to the king or queen that they're feel- like sworn fealty to, right? Yeah. So like I, that's why I think these are. this is a park bench song for this exact reason. I think there is a battle and there is a hero who's in the attacking army. And the rest is just little okay. snippets of like this person's a real. It's just making characters. The captain of the king's army is dying. He's getting. He thinks he's doing the right thing because he's on the king's side and he's sworn to defend them right, or whatever. Right. He dies thinking about somebody he loves. And it's like while sure, this sure. chaos is happening, there's still people like going like merchants around. There's still people do it, living their lives. It's it's very much like sacking King's Landing, right? It's like there's little people everywhere living their dumb little lives while like dumb what but like that's how it's treated it's always portrayed in movies it's like it doesn't matter it's always the guy it's to the Jon Snow that matters and I think it is the Jon Snow that is in the last two verses that having fought his way through King's Landing is now in the face of the royal court saying fucking prepare for change or die gentlemen <laughs> yeah our change or die yeah. I love that I mean that sounds great to me yeah because it, it, again it starts to get messy when you think about her just as like a figure because I think you're right in a level, in a way, because like we never get her going into the Palace of Mirrors. We don't really know where the messenger is because it's not clear. And if we follow I, he he stumbles after seeing the messenger and then he goes. It, presumably he could be going to the Palace of Mirrors and that's totally different. But uh, but in the end, it all gets washed away when she wakes him up. And then that whole verse, which I think is verse seven, is a very romantic type of verse, right? It's like these two people know one another. And they're clear people now. The eye is gone, but he is very much there. And she wakes him up. Who is the she? We don't know. Is it the maid? Is it the random girl from before? Is she waking up I, who has now become he? Right? Have we switched from, you know, Jesus who died on a cross to Jesus, the resurrected son of God type of thing, right? Like, I have switched out from my earthly presence into my real form here. Hmm. And so now I've become a he, right? I can't even I can't even describe myself in the song as I anymore because I'm much more than I. I'm I am everything, right? I love something like that. That feels really cool and epic and kind of like creepy because you don't know much about who this person is. But if we're the I, that that's very interesting too because then we get to experience that love, right? Because we, he pulls her down and she's clutching onto his long golden locks. Or is this even romantic? That that's the re- the read that I took from it is like, is this assault? Because it could easily be either way because she's like trying to get like he pulls her down. It could be sexy times, but it could be not. Well, good. and she's cl- yeah, clutching to the long golden ox. Yeah, you don't yeah. actually know. But she did try to wake him up. Right. I mean, but again, we, we don't have any clear idea about it all because she could he could also be a fucking white walker and he's pulling her down. Yeah. 
to fucking bite her head yeah, off. Don't know. I mean, I mean, I think it's we you, don't. Know. It's supposed to be read as romantic. Like it's supposed to be interplay. But I don't know that necessarily that person is the same person who like the John Snow. I agree. You know, it's like I, I agree. Don't know. Well, again, and it could also we could also be looking at the Queen, right? Because in my head too, the final verse, which we'll get to a little bit, but I just to foreshadow it. There's a big spot about her idols fall when her idols fall. Mm. And it's like her, her idols. What, who is her? Is she the queen? Is it this girl? And I was kind of seeing her as like an Oracle, like the matrix, you know, she sort of controlled Jupiter and Apollo, if you will. Like she could see ahead what's going on. And she thought she could harness the power of the pagan gods. And it turned out obviously that did, that was not correct. And she was wrong. And so at the end, they're basically, you know, the omnipotent narrator is saying, you know, when her false idols fall, the Oracle's false idols fall and uh, death retreats at that point. And the king and the queen of swords, of course, the earthly embodiment of all of that bullshit, the emperors, if you will, will also go into the into the sunset as well right away. And we are free or whatever. Peace will come. Right. Which I don't know. It's very that's very interesting, even outside of the Christian sort of lens. I think it's, that's a great fantasy novel idea. And that's absolutely what a lot of fantasy novels are about, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're trying to upend society and you have characters like this. So, but I, I thought of the park bench thing as well. There's so many characters in it. We've got the 16 houses, presumably uh, there's a shepherd, desperate men and women are divided merchants, a captain and his maid, the messenger and a black nightingale, uh, renegade priests, treacherous young witches, which is why we chose this song. Uh, dog soldiers, souls of previous times, gentlemen being spoken to, which I love you being in the court, gentlemen talking to the guys, uh, cruel death and the king and the queen of swords. Like we have a lot of characters that you could definitely go to a Halloween party. Just as, so, <laughs> One day, maybe. Which is pretty, pretty fucking cool. So I like the the stitches still mending neath the heart shaped tattoo, because mm. for me, that feels yeah. anachronistic, anachronistic, right? Because it's like tattoos seem like a modern thing that that's not true because we've been tattooing each other for thousands of years uh i just think it's like the the western version of tattoos or whatever however you want to fucking phrase that with like tattoo guns and military fucking tattoos and all that shit right um that's what you think of so you automatically like in my head it dated i was like oh that's that's anachronistic but it's like no it's not true and also it doesn't necessarily have to be a tattoo it could be like a brand right it could be any kind of like just a marking a permanent marking in your body um and 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 then i was like oh yeah dummy we've been tattooing each other for thousands of years that makes it even cooler right because whoever this person with the heart shaped tattoo is is clearly been traveled because i was just trying to think and i should have looked it up when like obviously all this medieval stuff set in my head in in the uk and in england and stuff so it's like i was gonna look up the history of tattooing in england to try to figure out when when it would have been but it i (laughs) like i like the better of them being like a world traveler kind of conqueror type of thing anyway so yeah i don't know there's a lot of great lines but that one i like a lot just because stitches is a cool word (laughs) well just the way he sings it i think that's also part of why i love this song too because if you read it on paper all of the verses don't line up lyric like they don't rhyme. There's not a typical rhyme scheme because the rhymes are built inside of each of the verses. So the, not only is it weird to look at to read because it doesn't rhyme if you just mm-hmm. read it out each each line, but also the way he sings it is just a, a really weird rhythm and, and the phrasing is strange and he can pull things off to another spot, even though they're right next to each other. He'll sort of hold a line and move it down and that's going to rhyme with something before. It's really an incredible wordplay, just like the way that he does. It, I wouldn't call it internal rhyme because it, there's not really a scheme to it, but it's like 
you just look at it and it doesn't rhyme and it seems like a bunch of mumbo jumbo. But when you hear the, with the ditches, with the stitches still mending, you know, it, it all hits. It fucking hits. And this is a Bob Dylan delivery that I think is unparalleled. I mean, it's a really great, great song and no other song sounds like it. Can't hear you. I don't know. I didn't do anything. I didn't move. I do think lyrically this is delivered very coolly. <laughs> Best adjective. Um, and, and that's why the song, and another reason why the song is so percussive, I do believe it's fully built off of the lyrical rhythm that he wanted to go to. Because otherwise it's, and it, it was hard even learning the song because it doesn't have a natural break in the the measure structure uh, because it is following his lyrics. So very totally. neat. Yeah. The only other thing before we get to Battlestar is I just want to like mention like tarot cards. We talked about tarot cards in our, we had a intermission between in Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts episode 93, where we talk about tarot cards. I don't want to go too much into it because we did before, but the idea of fortune telling and tarot cards, I think is very prevalent in this episode. Uh, the heart shaped tattoo is very much a card thing. Jupiter and Apollo, um, which kind of signifies sort of to me, fortune telling stuff, moved your mountains and marked your cards. Right. So they're, they're talking about and the King and the queen of swords, right? Obviously there is no swords oh, sure, yeah. and the heart shaped is a, suit in cards but not really a thing um but we do get the king and the queen you know there's a lot of that type of stuff going on and i think bob was definitely influenced by that in the in the in the mid-70s that was part of the shit that was going out there in the world i mean new age mysticism spirituality at that time was like at an all-time high and we can't fault bob dylan for like kind of being into that right and if you get into it with like a significant other too apparently sarah was into it so it happens huh. right and what happened right after this? Well, Christianity got cool again. So he replaced using tarot cards and new age mystical ideas uh, in so many of these songs from 75 to 79. He just replaced it with Christianity. So to me, it's like exactly the same. You can have songs like Senor, Romance in Durango, like these wonderful, beautiful, evocative, natural things. And then you can replace it all with fire and brimstone and God and Jesus and He's saying the same thing. He just has a different vocabulary. So that's how I kind of saw it, which is pretty, pretty interesting. And that's why I like this song, because it's like a really wonderful bridge to like the Christian stuff that's going to come. But it's like not it's subtle. It's not overt the way that it kind of the way that he kind of writes it from here on out. But I do want to talk about Battlestar Galactica really quick, Kelly. Please, please do. We love talking about Battlestar Galactica on this podcast because if you don't know, All Along the Watchtower is like the song of all songs in the universe. It's floating around, waiting to be picked up by whatever space-fearing people are out there. And not to spoil the show, but it's taking place in a world before Earth, even as human beings. So they're listening to All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. Who knows what time they're in? Well before human beings were invented. Jimi Hendrix exists on another planet, people. And he's making All Along the Watchtower, a song written by Bob Dylan on another planet. Because uh, it's not Earth. I'll tell you that much. It's not Earth. Not yet. Oh, well, it could be Earth, right? Because time is what? Time doesn't really matter. Anyways, there's a lot of Bob Dylan talking about this song in particular that every time I read it, I'm like, oh my God, it's Battlestar Galactica. So Bob Dylan told Jonathan Cott, who was a great interviewer for Rolling Stone in 1978, one of his best interviews because it's just off the wall like they all are. He says, quote, Changing of the Guards might be a song that might have been there for thousands of years sailing around the mist. And one day I just tuned into it. 
the way that it builds up, it's almost like you're turning on a radio and it, whoop, here we are, here's the song. Yeah. And then it's over. You know, what was that? Holy shit. I have no idea. And then it goes to a, a traditional bluesy Bob Dylan song after that. It's like, you almost like we're on the wrong channel. You're like, shit, I got, I meant to put on Bob Dylan. Oh, new pony. Mm-hmm. And you just got this like bluesy. I was like, oh, that was a weird song. And when you move on, I was pretty cool. There is a poem that he wrote. Not, we don't know if it's Bob Dylan exactly, but it's by R. Zimmerman. Um, in the journal Photography, of all places, a poem in the magazine Photography called An Observation Revisited. And he says, quote, and this is before he wrote this song. He said, quote, I'm always making scribblings, a minstrel collecting words for an eventual song. In my mind, I keep humming Tom Paxton's Peace Will Come, and all sorts of images are flashing across the sky at once. There's a great argument to be made that, like, that's part of the you know, makeup of this. And it is on our playlist as well. So you can listen to that. Uh, Dylan was talking to a woman, Karen Hughes in 1978 said, quote, I don't know where these songs come from. Sometimes I'm thinking in some other age that I've lived through. I must have. And that experience of all of these songs, because sometimes I don't know what I'm writing about until years later, it becomes clearer to me. And finally, uh, the writer Terry Kelly caught fires, Jonathan Cott, who's interviewing him, fires an arsenal of quotations and references that he finds relevant to changing of the cards to a typically taciturn Dylan. The loquacious Cott builds up a tidal wave of feverish explanation, peppered with tarot card references, songwriting subcodes, and subconscious images. He tells the still silent Dylan that he believes that each floor of the Palace of Mirrors contains another significant image or level of awareness. After what seems like a life time of silence dylan eventually puts cot out of his misery i think dylan mumbles you might be into some areas i'm not too familiar with (laughs) nice nice and we're better off reading this as a park bench song that's like doesn't really have a specific meaning i think that people really struggle with that sometimes like people crave closure and they crave answers man and like i just i don't care about that at all like i liminal space is fine ambiguity is fine like just let it and this song thrives in that yeah and let it evoke what it does within you without needing to be like but why who cares totally 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 and that's why you know i love the ending of the song because it does give us a little more concrete but it lets us sort of like kind of let the rest of it kind of pass over you you don't really need the start of that song to really have the kind of the gist of the end of the song so i really love the verses i'm just going to sort of read them out just because I, I really love them so we get this messiah character who maybe has been resurrected. Again, we get that 48 hours later, the sun is breaking near broken chains, mountain laurel, rolling rocks, right? So like he, in my head, this man is being resurrected from the dead, Mm. Jesus style. Um, And whatever happens with the, if they're getting a smooch or if he's getting, he's going to bite her because he's a white walker or it's assault. I mean, we we don't know. So we won't, we won't touch on that because it's unclear. Mm. But uh, verse eight is gentlemen. He said, I don't need your organizations. I've shined your shoes. I've moved your mountains and marked your cards, but Eden is burning. Either place yourself, brace yourself for elimination or else your hearts must have the courage for the changing of the guards. Now there is an alternative lyric to this Kelly that I'm going to read to you. So in 2004, he put this in his lyrics book. Um, so I'm going to read it to you and you tell me what you think. Baby, Be still, she said. Can you spare me a moment's passion? Can I shine your shoes, print your money, or mark your cards? What frozen truths can your brave soul imagine? Does your heart have the courage for the changing of the guards? Hmm. You know, so that changes the whole thing. Yeah, no, I don't like that. I do not like that. Not great. Yeah, because, and and this is my favorite part of the song. I mean, I'm sure it's everybody's favorite part. It's just because, like, a second is like, Eden is burning. It's like, there's like, 
ah, just that that's so commanding to be like, get on board or die. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so cool. I do want that to be the case too. I mean, and that's why at the end it's satisfying when they fucking leave. It's it's great. Yeah, I mean, I see it again. If we go back to the I character, I was thinking if it is I that goes down with this. Then I like this even more. I mean, outside of like this one being the most Jesus-y, you know, because your faith can move mountains, like that's from the Bible. Like the shoes are kind of like the sandals. And like it, you don't need a theology degree to kind of like understand this, just a basic knowledge will do. But I like the idea of I because it makes our guy like, you know, I've I've shined your shoes, I've I've moved your mountains. Like I am a worker, I've done the work for this society. I'm an everyday man. You know, and like Jesus, like he sees the plight of the poor and he sees that how they're being treated by the king and the queen. He's like, we're fucking rebelling, man. This is a revolution. It's over. You're done. They love me because I know what it is to be them. And we don't want your bullshit anymore. So you're done. And the merchants and themes part, I mean, that's that's Jesus's direct message. Taking the merchants and putting them right next to the word thieves is incredibly on it. Like. Bob Dylan is not being coy about like kind of some elements of the song and to put those two things together is, is very on point for him. And, you know, I, I just love the idea that I can change and you listening to the song can also change as well. And it, I don't know. That's, that's very nice to me. Yeah. That's a good point that like um, it's, he's not saying I'm going to kill you no matter what he's saying you have a choice. And yep. your choice is limited because the other option is death. But but it's not just uh, killing everyone to to become the new like yeah. dictator, violent person. That like totally. I'm totally. just violently taking over this regime. I want things to be better for people. But also, you're the problem. So mm. you got to go if you don't want to change. Well, that's why Jesus is a true radical because Jesus would never. You know, the whole idea of him coming and lording over and doing all this bullshit, like that's the complete opposite. Like Jesus is a radical character because what he's saying is love, love everyone radically. Like we don't do that, you know? And yeah, you're, you're right. It's like, you're basically saying, do you have the courage? There's one thing you need to do to be able to do this. It's well within your ability to be a part of this society, this new world that we're building, but it takes courage. The one thing that you might lack, you need to have. That's the one thing you need to find because if you do, I promise you it's smooth sailing. Peace will come as we end. And this is also, we talked about in uh, the, the horrendous Death is Not the End, episode 123, which if you have not listened to, yeah, it doesn't matter. We do dunk on it a lot. It was a pretty fun episode, but we joke about the apocalyptic turn and it was so shitty in that song because it sucks. This is a great apocalyptic turn. I mean, things take a turn here, but it feels so earned. And we close finally with another great verse. Uh, Peace will come with tranquility and splendor on the wheels of fire, but will bring us no reward when her false idols fall and cruel death surrenders with its pale ghosts retreating between the king and the queen of swords. Um, I love it because it comes back to her, it comes back to the fallen idols. Like, is that the queens? Is that the oracles? I mean, however you build this, it's like you now have to account for the her being a part of the fall. So she's not here, which is very much Bob Dylan woman being part of the fall. You know, they just be shopping out there. So I hope that's not the case. But but, you know, <laughs> it's there. It's there in the in the world, which is kind of nuts. So see. You just did the thing that does not happen. As soon as you read King and Queen of Swords, you wanted to go da na 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 na. It does not. It goes back into the verse, oh, no. bum, which is bum, bad. Bum. That was a like, and to know that they did that after the fact is even more egregious because, like, you know, the flow of the song. This should have ended with the chorus 
instead of the instrumental verse riff. Why does it end that way? You're right. You're right. You're right. I totally did. But I actually yeah. fucking live for the end verse where it's just the drums going bump, bump. Mm, and we just <laughs> we just ride it out. I fucking love that ending. My brain is like, you need it. But I didn't need it. Yes, I already got it with do. the Chain and the Guards. This is almost the epilogue, man. This is like, this is season eight of the show that must not be named. Like, we didn't really need this last part. But because we, we rode off on a high here. But then we come in oh, sure, just yeah. a little bit of, all right, let's just finish this bad boy out. And just let the drums go and let Bob walk off the stage. Perfectly fine with that for me. Um, I do get a couple of vibes. I get False Prophet vibes uh, with the False Idols. This wheels on fire is absolutely, I mean, they say wheel on fire. So when we get this wheels on fire, but with Bob Dylan and the band, we will definitely uh, sort of talk about that. Did you think at all of the Jack of Hearts? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Queen of Swords is like, you mean Jack of Hearts? What? What's happening? But in that song, he was a jokester and we know he's the best actor of all time in the world. He could be, you know, dressed up as the Queen of Swords here and she he could be leaving with his girl, you know, like this could be the next episode of their epic story. Cause we, we, we talked about what their future would be if they would ever meet up again, the characters in Lily Rosemary. Maybe this is a continuation, Kelly. Huh? Now That's we don't cool. ever, we do have the heart shaped tattoo, which I mean, King of Hearts, Jack of Hearts, but um, otherwise there's not any evidence that this is connected at all um, in any way. So Kelly, that's kind of the end of, of the song itself. And I suppose we end here uh, because I, I am here and I work on this podcast. So I do know the next part and it's, does this song still work? Does this song still work? What are your final thoughts? And does this work in 2021? I do feel musically. It, it does feel a little dated. Um, I lyrically not at all. Uh, I was so glad spoiler for our playlist that we have the gaslight anthem version of this because that song is great. That song is so good. Like it, it really takes all the best elements of this lyrical design and calls out the saxophone calls out the backup singers while there is harmony parts on it. It's not the egregious backup singing. Um, That is like the perfect version of the song for me. Um, so I think it can work because this is a cool story, a great idea and percussive rhythm. And, and Gaslight Anthem certainly keeps that because that is such the song like that yeah. part is for me. Uh, you, you can't remove that percussive nature of the rhythm of the song um, from the lyrics. I, I think it, that would be a huge mistake if for some reason you completely change this and uh, move the lyrical order around so that it was a different rhythm. It would totally destroy the integrity totally. of the song. So. I think that that nugget of it can work. I don't think this song feels like it fits in 2021. No, I absolutely love the song. And I think maybe I love this. I mean, I obviously love all the instrumentation and like, it's just part of my life, but like, I think you're right. I think that the song is really cool. And I think it's cool because of the lyrics. I think that you can, uh, you can excuse, you can excuse a lot of the excesses because the, the, the song is so solid and weird and you find yourself just listening to the words and even him, he's very much uh, an instrument on this song. Um, I love it because it's haunting. It's epic. It's uh, strange. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's mystical. It's romantic. And it's cinematic. 
I mean, like we talked about, it feels like you're watching a movie. We move right from one, right to the other, right to the, and it felt like Game of Thrones. I mean, it really does. Because you can see it all. You yeah. can see death riding. You can see the, you can smell, you know, the the meadows. You see the cold-blooded mood, like all of that stuff. The tranquility and splendor on, on the wheels of fire. Like it doesn't line up to uh, preconceptions. And Bob Dylan, once again, gets to like fucking juke left and right in the song. And it can be whatever you want it to be with being, Whatever Bob intended it to be is probably completely 180 than what we're talking about. It's messy as shit. Street See, but you think messy. it works in 2021? Like, do you think, think it feels fits in the music landscape of 2021? Not a lot of people have covered it, like, commercially. So, and I get it. I get why it's kind of a long, big song. And Quinn the Eskimo sitting there for randos to cover. So why would you cover this when you can cover Quinn the Eskimo? But, um... But yeah, I, I think it could absolutely work, but it can't work in the saxophone yeah. style. You you would think it's too much of Bruce Springsteen, one hundred percent. I mean, it's a fine line, and when you find out that it's from two thousand five, you're furious. But when you find out for, it's from seventy eight, you're like, all right, I'm gonna let that go. <laughs> you know, it really is a time thing. You you really got to be like, it's cool. It's a brilliant song, ten to ten. I would definitely change the guards again. <laughs> Kelly, we were also people out in the world making playlists because that's what we do. We've had this playlist going for two months, yeah. Kelly, two months. And it was a it was a damn good playlist. Um, I've got to listen to it multiple times through. And I really love every part of this playlist. I got to say, I've really enjoyed I agree 100 percent. This is probably one of my favorite ones we've ever done. Honestly, it just feels really good. Yeah. Again, thanks to your fantastic sequencing. But it just really flowed well. And I think that we hit. A lot of styles of music and whenever we can weave that into a nice big picture uh, i feel like it's always successful when it's like we go to a, a lot of extremes but it, it all works it's very cool totally totally yeah this the one song that was always going to be paired with this for 100 was going to be steely dan now we have two steely dans in here uh a change of the guard which i mean come on it's too close but kings kings to me is the spiritual uh, equivalent of this song. It's just very medieval sounding and obviously like King Richard, like we're just going right for it. Um, it's fucking great. Can't buy a thrill. Great record. I still really like Steely Dan. Uh, sorry, not sorry. So that's our fourth Steely Dan with these two songs on it. And we will never hear Kings again, which was also part of our Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm sorry. What was it? Uh, Sign of the Window presents Mixed Up Confusion presents Game oh of Thrones God. season seven. Never forget. <laughs> um, Tiny Moving Parts. You put Tiny Moving Parts on here. Guardians. Uh, I love that band. So I was so happy that you put them on there. I wasn't expecting you to it do that. It sounded like a Daniel band. It was great. Very technical. and <laughs> Yeah, no, great guitar work. They're always great. Uh, Tiger's Jaw that just came out with a new record as we're recording this in April. Uh, Guardians from their last one. Also great and really works together. One of my favorite bands and one of my favorite albums is by a band called Verse. Old Guard, New Methods, and this is one where you want to listen to the whole thing together. This song in particular fails a little bit because it it really relies on the bookends to it to really make sense. Uh, just like I liked it, musically, though. that's pretty good though. It's got a great you know anthemic fucking no gods, no yeah, kings. Yeah. Which again, here we are. That's that's what we're doing here. Uh, Gaslight Anthem, of course. This is number five for them. Changing of the Guards from that Chimes of Freedom Amnesty International soundtrack, which was great. I love Gaslight Anthem. 
It's a gasoline anthem song, as far as I'm concerned. Tom Paxton, as we talked about before, uh, in that photography thing, Peace Will Come. Uh, four tops, and that was two for Tom Paxton. Four tops for the second time in these changing times, uh, along with Buddy Holly for the second time, changing all those changes. Lauren Hill for the third time, guarding the gates off of the Queen and Slim soundtrack. I don't know. Yeah, that that's uh, uh, Lena Waithe actually made that movie last year or the year before. Um, oh, I, so it it's like really new? flew under the radar. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wow. I, I think it came out in early twenty ten or twenty twenty. Yeah. April no, I mean the, the Lauren Hill song too. New? Yeah, it was for the soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah, really? yeah. It's for, it's for the soundtrack of that movie. Yeah, the uh, soundtrack's actually really good. It's got a lot of artists on it, but it was all original music made for the made for the movie. But yeah, I haven't seen it, but it seems like it's a romantic story uh, between two people. I don't know who they are uh, in Lena Waithe's life. If they're supposed to be like her parents or something, I haven't actually watched the movie or looked really into yeah. it. But yeah, it, I'm sure it's worth worth digging into because the music's great. So, could be the movie uh, adaptation of Changing of the Guards for all we know. So yeah, who knows? we have no idea. Uh, and then for the third time, Lil Wayne. I'm going to count it since we're sort of with Nicki Minaj, who is the first time for her. But third time for Lil Wayne. Changed it. Changed it. We don't hear yeah. from Lil Wayne much because he's in jail. Uh, Lorne. For the first time. Welcome to the playlist for the really? first time. Lorne. Guardian oh, 2. That, that's an oversight on my part. I really enjoy Lorne. He's like a, has a lot of like dark ambient music but he definitely skews more like gothy electronic stuff it's cool yeah and this this was my favorite part of the whole thing because i loved putting tame impala uh, weirdly enough for the first time even though i mean we talked about him last year when he came out with his new record i really loved it but yes i'm changing from currents is fucking fantastic and boards of canada which is another band when you put them on here for the first time i wanted to be a Boards of Canada fan back in the day. And this was my only foray I can think of in my life where I was like, I'm going to be an ambient music listener. And I went back through my last FM and the last time I listened to them was 2009. Oh, and wow. I tried to do songs from, I forget exactly what the album was called, but it was not for me, obviously. But but I loved it in the context of this playlist. Fantastic. Um, I, I feel kind of the same way about them. I'm really specific on the stuff that I like for no real reason. I have no actual parameters on why I think something is good or bad when it comes to ambient electronic music. But it's just something you feel. Yeah. You, you like it or you don't. And, and Boards of Canada really misses the mark for me a lot. Yeah. But not, to, not today. Not this playlist. No. Not on this playlist. Not on this playlist. Broken Social Scene for the first time. Mouth, mouth Guards of the Apocalypse from Hug of Thunder 2015. Always great. And of course, DJ Shadow for the first time. Changeling. Which is, that's not true. Uh, we've definitely had Midnight in a Perfect World on a playlist recently, too. It doesn't lie. It doesn't lie, Kelly. It doesn't lie. We'll fight about we'll fight about this off pod, everybody. Okay. So if okay. you know what episode DJ Shadow was on, tweet us at SO2W. No, we're not to that part yet. And Nicki Minaj <laughs> changed it again. First time for her. Anyways, great, great playlist. I got to say, I fucking loved it. And um, it's weird because we got to listen to it for so long. So it was really nice to like go back and listen. This is the first time we've ever done anything like that. So it's cool to listen to it. And then we took a break for next week's show and then we got to re-listen. So very cool. It was just so good. I like putting it on so repeat good. and just listening it for like you didn't even, I don't know, it felt really timeless. Very good job, us. And if you and if you want to, because we're we're bending time over here and you're like, oh, no, we're not in the right time because we're listening to next episode or, or even the episode after that. Guess what? You can go everywhere. We're a real podcast and we have a website, <laughs> SOTWpod.com. We've got a Twitter that sometimes gets updated. Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. It sometimes gets updated. We're living our lives. I'm at, uh, uh, what am I at? I'm at Bull Run. 
Kelly's at the podcast closet. We are 3,000 miles away. We, we're living life, man. We're living life. We're doing yeah. the best we can. So you can follow us on everything SOTW pod. If you want to uh, give us a dollar, you'll have this show uh, that's yours in perpetuity forever. Your name will be in the in the halls of SOTW worldwide headquarters, which we <laughs> haven't decided where 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 that is exactly because we're really oh, jet setting. We're jet setters at this point. Um, oh, sure. But Kelly, we were also people in the world these last six weeks to not tread over things that we say in the future. What have you been doing specifically for these last month since we last recorded our last episode? Yeah. So fair warning, this is going to be very long. <laughs> Yeah, mine too. Mine too. Well, we'll try to we'll try to roll through it so we don't okay. take too long. So I want to start at the starting, which is the continuation of the first seven albums I ever owned as a small child because I didn't, I hadn't quite made it through my entire playlist at the last episode. Take a message to Mary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I did lose you. you. Oh, really? Oh, you're there. You're back. Yeah. So. Last last recommendations I had gone through uh, Alanis Mor- Jagged Little Pill Four by Blues Traveler right. Falling into You from Celine Dion, followed up with In Sync by In Sync, nothing of value, absolutely not. Aquarium by Aqua, all guilty pleasure for me, still fun okay, to listen okay. to. Okay. I don't know, you have to be a very specific person. If you like Ace of Base, you probably will be into who who is that person? Me. Uh, oh wow. Okay. Spice Girls Spice. If you're going to pick of these two big pop albums, NSYNC versus Spice Girl Spice, Spice Girl Spice all the way. Yeah, totally. Way better. Uh, and right. then, so my my cheat album was Coolie High Harmony by Boys to Men because that was not in my little six-year-old personal collection or however old I was. Right. But it's the one that my brother listened to all the time when we played Super Mario Brothers. Huge disappointment. Um, I got to say oh. that Side A is garbage you know that thing that people make fun of uh you know or like well satire where it's like hey baby i know we've been going out a long time that's real yeah. they earnestly do that on this album i like i didn't realize like of course it must have come from somewhere that's why people parody it, it, it but came from them it came from oh them. my god yeah yeah. but yeah. side b i gotta say there's four solid tracks starting with motown philly okay. of course uh under pressure and simpin and little things worth it but i don't know four okay. four tracks out of 12 Ugh. I was bummed. I thought it was going to be a banger all the way through. But so I moved on chronologically in my life to the next seven albums that I could remember owning. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. And I I have to stop after this because after that, it's like, yeah, you bought CDs because you were a person in the world. But these were like, my mom must (laughs) have bought them for me because I didn't have, I ain't got no job. So clearly like- My mom, like some somehow they these came to me, but I chose them versus this uh, first seven, which was like a smattering of what was given to me. The cast offs by my parents, I would assume whatever they are. So the next seven albums to spoil them. And I didn't get through all of them again, uh, but very relevantly started with the two albums. I remember going to the store and my mom being like, I don't think I should buy this for you. And I was like, shut up, mom, get it for me anyway. <laughs> it's dark and hell is hot and fast with my flesh, blood of my blood by DMX who just died. So I was like, how funny, funny. I mean, how poetically tragic that I was like, Oh, I just revisited these two albums that I have such a strong memory with and then fucking died. So um, I have to say He's like, uh, I only have It's Dark as Hell and Hot on my, my list of the next seven albums, but it's, um, it really runs the gamut. I mean, it's, it's overly misogynistic, violent. He talks about raping a 14 year old girl, all these really violent, gross things. 
Uh, but I like remember so much of it. There's especially a song where he's talk uh, Damien, where he's like has this devil on his shoulder character, and he's just like that that line: the snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. How are you gonna see him when you live in the fall? I just like so many lines in that song. I'll just be minding my own business, and he's like, like Chucky, yeah, just like Chucky. I'm like, what's happening? So yeah, I. I uh, but then he does. He also does a cover kind of of in the air tonight by phil collins on it it's just like it's a weird album um i didn't listen to flesh on my flesh again but like it's dark and hell is hot definitely the first album i remember my mom being like that probably isn't a great album for you to buy because you're 10 or 11 (laughs) like Like, i need this more than you know so the other six albums to come but just dmx i mean yeah complicated life hard 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 stuff and he was only 52 i mean damn uh, my nigga TP, creep with me. Why is it every move I make turned out to be a bad one? Where's my guardian angel? Need one? Wish I had one. I'm right here, shorty, and I'ma hold you down. I'm trying to fuck all these bitches, I'ma show you how. But who? Name D like you, but my friends call me Damien, and I'ma put you into something. About the Damien? You and me can take it there, and you'll be the hottest nigga ever living. That's a given? You'll see. That's what I've been wanting all my life. Thinking about my little man, so I call my wife. Yo, your dad's about to make it happen. What you mean, my nigga? I'm about to make it rapping. Today I met this cat. He said his name was Damien. He thinks that we're a lot alike and wants to be my friend. You mean like Chucky? Uh, yeah, just like Chucky. Dad, looks like we both lucky. Yeah, the snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Huh? How you gonna see him if you're living in the fall? Huh? The snake, the rat. All right, the so cat, continuing the, the longest recommendations in the world. Um, I watched Cats. Think about how bad it could be. It is that bad. Think about one of the worst movies you've ever seen. It's that. It's. I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's really bad. Uh, I will say I cannot – every single time they showed a new Abomination Cat person, I was like, I can't believe they're in this movie. This is embarrassing. Ian McKellen and Dame Judi Dench and Idris fucking Elba. Bad look, bad look for Stringer. Don't like it. I just, I, for Ian McKellen and Dame Judy, Dame Judy Jens specifically, it's like you have this amazing decades-long career, and you're, I mean, not to be a dick, but you're not going to live a whole <laughs> lot longer, and this might be one of the last things you ever did, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, I <laughs> listened to Metallica for like the first okay. time ever. I really sat and listened to Metallica. Because I've been trying to find a lot of guitar-driven music to try to, like, play along to. It's my constant struggles with the guitar if I need to play it more. But it's like, I'm never actually going to be a professional musician, so how much does it matter? But I do enjoy playing it, but then I make it too hard for no reason because it has to be this monolithic thing. Anyway, Metallica. Uh, I will say their, their first five albums are Fair. great. They're really great. I always hated Metallica because... It, like of the people that I knew that liked it and just like its pervasiveness on the radio. I hated so many of their popular yeah. songs. Like, you know, what's sad, but true. It's like Lars. I mean, it's I like, hated like, Lars as a kid. And so you're like, oh yeah. And that, yeah. For ruining Napster. You, you dick. Like, yeah. So there's so much baggage and all this stuff. And it's really funny that there is a huge like, immediate change in their music from their Metallica, their self-titled album, mm-hmm. their fifth album, and then the one right after it called Load. Yeah, load yeah. Uh, it's so bad. The first track, let me, Metallica songs before that are really amazingly technically proficient. Um, the 
God, why can't I ever remember the guitarist's name when I Hamill? want to? Kirk That's Hamill? embarrassing. Kirk, Kirk Hammett. Hammett. Thank yeah. you, God. Yeah. Kirk Hammett. He's a, an incredible guitarist. Holy yeah. shit. That guy is amazing. And like even trying and even uh what's his why can't I remember uh, anybody's name? James, the main dude. Yeah, James Heads Hedfield. Hedfield. God, yeah, yeah. Even Hetfield, he plays guitar so fast and really well because he's he's the driving force behind it. And then it's like you get into the whole like Dave Mustaine used to be in the band, like all this kind of stuff. But um, it, it's really great musically and the lyrics too. Like we had Creeping Death on a playlist yeah, right. not too long ago. That song is fucking yeah. awesome, and it's cool because there is a narrative. It's a weird, fucked up kind of medievally. So, oh no, it's it's set in like ancient Egypt because he's like right. I'm coming for yes, your firstborn yes, yes, son, yes. like all this cool stuff. Uh, and then like. Load the first song on that album is called Ain't My Bitch. And the song is about a dumb woman who's like doing dumb stuff. Ain't my problem. She ain't my bitch. I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? I I watched wrestling as a kid, professional wrestling as a kid. You did too. Do you remember when there was the error of Biker Taker, when the Undertaker sported a oh, bandana yes. and rode onto the stage with a motorcycle? I didn't know it was called Biker Taker. I love that. But yes, there I do remember that. There was a a Biker Takering of the nation, I believe, and Metallica was struck hard with it. And I like, I fully believe that that was that era of like, we just sing dumb st- songs about being dumb dudes because we're dumb dudes. And I was like, that is such a shame because yeah. you guys... You made five solidly good albums, Metallica being my least favorite of the five. But I was just like, I was on one hand, like really impressed and surprised at the technical proficiency and fun, interesting lyrical stuff. Because they were really like talking about cool shit and like being anti-system, anti-religion, like cool stuff. And then it just like. my bitch. The biker takerfication of Metallica was really a bummer. And they never recovered. No. Like looking at Rate Your Music after the fact. It, it just never, well, never came back. Also for us, like, I think the reason why I never even went to go back and like, I wasn't until I was much older that I listened to the whole thing. And I don't think it's really for me, but like, I'm sure I would have loved it back then. But I remember that record that came out in 2005 or whatever, St. Anger, St. Anger. Saint, oh, everyone hated And the that drums album. on it. And I remember listening to it at, yeah. from Napster. I downloaded it because everyone was doing it then. Fuck him. Uh, right, sure. Oh, yeah. Then you're like, this sucks. And those drums are fucking horrible. Like the, whatever the drum sound is, that's really still something I think about all the time. And it really, for me, I'm like, oh, fuck Lars, fuck them all. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I feel good. Yeah. Wash away. But now, you know, going back, you're like, oh yeah, I get it. I get why they're so cool. But like, yeah. And for me, it's that thrash, that early shit is so fast and yeah. proficient. And then they became kind of just a stone temple pilots. Right. I mean, it's like, I don't know the difference between these two bands, whatever. <laughs> that's not totally yeah, true, totally. but it's like, you lose some of the youth. Once you become older and you're playing that, you either keep it up or you fucking like you become a different band. So it's been a long time yeah, since they've they done did. anything, right? I mean, it's been years. years. Uh, I think uh, something electric came out in 2011. Oh, right. right and right. then they did a weird concept album with Lou Reed of all people. They did. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, they toured with it, too, not, before he died, I think. Good, and they did something with the good. with the harmonic orchestra stuff which is actually a pretty cool idea yeah, i'm did. sure that's really mm-hmm. fun and sounds pretty good probably but you know whatever so they're just kind of out there yeah i didn't i did not listen to any of that because as soon as i got to metallica um load i oh, was like yeah. oh god we're done oh god we're done yeah um it just keeps on happening but i want to say <laughs> my like music that's come out semi-recently <laughs> yeah uh 
I went back and listened to no, that's not true because this is old too. I went back and listened to Streetlight Manifesto's first couple albums. Whoa. They're great. Whoa. Um, I was just like really, I was in a bad mood and I was like, ska always makes me happy. I was like, God, that album is so good. And then um, I didn't realize because I'm an idiot that Catch-22, same lead singer. Um, And so when Streetlight Manifesto, yeah, re-recorded Caspi Nights and I was just like, that album's so good. Uh, Just fantastic. Yeah, that's the one. One of my favorite songs of all time. Easy. Yeah. Right? I'm going to play it's that. It's just so, play good. It. It's so, so good. So good. Um, so that was fun. And then actual new music. I listened to something new. Two new things. Uh, Floating Points, who is uh, an artist. His name is um, is the same name as a famous playwright, which is why I think he goes by. Is Ben floating points? James floating something. points. Think of famous playwrights, Daniel. You can probably guess it. Oh God! I I mean I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's a guy named Paul. At some point, yeah. Been a playwright. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, Eugene O'Neill. Sam Shepard, right? Wasn't he a playwright? Sam Shepard. Yeah, we talked. Yeah, yeah, Bob yeah. Dylan, Sam Shepard. Come on. Yeah, yeah. All right. So so uh, floating points. Who was? Sam Shepard, but he goes by floating points. Um, I've I've listened to him for a while. I don't again. This is an ambient artist where he, there's a lot of misses for me, but most of his stuff ended up on my Space Dust playlist that I made. Uh, nice. But he just released uh, in collaboration with the London Symphony Orchestra uh, an album called Promises. It's about 45 minutes long, and I think there's like nine movements on it. But okay. it's just beautiful from start to finish. Yeah, nine. Uh, so not only is it with London Symphony Orca- Orchestra, but it's also with a jazz tenor saxophonist named pharaoh sanders who played with yes yes yes, 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 yes 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 okay i know i was like i know this okay yeah yeah. so okay um that's on my to listen to on my new play oh great Uh, it's so beautiful i just put it on repeat and like you because it 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 is all one one big piece like it it's funny that they even bothered to break it up into different movements but i kind of understand why because it is such a, a big thing but you just put that thing on repeat you don't know when it begins or it ends and it's just like beautiful beautiful orchestral but also with a nice electronic edge and then pharaoh sanders sax just like really uh-huh. oh my god really beautiful and restrained he, he was a part of my jazz world nice. i mean i definitely listened to a bunch of him nice. so yeah i saw his name and i was like this is great i'm glad he's still around and like kicking it let's go it's so good and man. then apparently this other person is great too that's awesome yeah i mean it's like getting huge buzz i think but like pitchfork gave it like a 9.5 like I, everyone's loving this gorgeous album, yeah so. i highly highly yeah. recommend okay. that and then uh arlo parks sweet uh, she's a, a rapper, hip hop, uh, R&B poet from from the UK because all the great rappers are coming out of the UK recently. I don't know what the hell's going on. But um, yeah, so she came out with an album earlier this year called Collapsed in Sunbeams. Um, but she's had a, a couple of EPs before that. And it's just great. I mean, she I don't know what she would label herself, but she sings about ladies, which is great. Uh, the song Eugene, which is a big single off of that album, is probably my favorite. Um, it's just like it's incredible how she was able to write down what it feels like 
to be in love with your best friend who's a girl who's chasing after this guy she can't get over. But mm-hmm. instead of like the the emo kind of like pained way, she does it in a really like beautiful. I don't know. Arlo hmm. Parks can't recommend her enough. Okay, that sounds good to me. That sounds great. Yeah, no, mine's long too, but I'll I'll try to go through it. Um, I watched two documentaries: Alan versus Pharaoh, the HBO show. Oh yeah, about Woody Allen. What a gross, what a gross man. What a gross, terrible man. And he got excused, man, he got excused for everything because he was a genius and a filmmaker and he makes money for New York. It's like, come on. Ah, fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck him. <laughs> uh, I watched the WeWork documentary about WeWork on Hulu. Oh, yeah. Um, it was like the Fire Festival. I mean, it's very much like, how did this office desk sharing company be worth $47 billion? And it's like, just looking at, you know, the last, you know, 10 years of what it's been like to like fuse sort of like these like concepts about like, you know, we work, you know, not me, but we, uh, that kind of stuff into the business culture and just kind of how toxic it is. Because in the end he got a $1.7 billion payout. He didn't give that money to his workers. We was gone at that point. It was all about me. So very good though. I recommend both of those, uh, HBO and Hulu for that fresh released a new song. We love fresh at the, on this, on this, um, podcast that's what we DJ are dj fresh uh the song is called not dj fresh <laughs> but girl clout is the name of the song uh you, you type in fresh punk and it'll show up on spotify fresh will you it'll take you a long time to find them uh they also release a podcast where they're talking about their songs called this podcast is not that fun so uh, pretty great title excellent pretty great title uh my just like random stuff i've been listening to for the last month mikey erg self uh titled mm-hmm. uh he's just a punk rocker fucking excellent like 18 minutes of just like pure pop punk bliss uh destroy boys is like a new band i just found out they're like a post hardcore band from i want to say florida but i'm not exactly where sure where uh an album called make room there's an old artist a native american singer songwriter whose name is willie dunn and he released records back in the 70s and 80s but never got his due um and they just released an anthology of his called creation never sleeps creation never dies and i gotta say it's fucking incredible. There's a song, a nine minute song called Ballad of Crow Feet, and it's fucking lovely. And it's just sort of Native American history, but just like Western history. It's like, you know, folk songs, but from a different perspective, which is really, really amazing. And the fact that they're from the 60s and 70s and 80s is wild to me. Um, I was reading uh, Rolling Stone because on Libby they have um, magazines now oh, that cool. you can rent for free. So I'm was sort of like, what's happening in the Rolling Stone world? And they were doing a like new artist to watch. And there was a girl, uh, Paloma Mommy. Hmm. She is a, a Chilean singer, you know, sort of uh, reggaeton and, you know, just sort of a singer. I don't know. I've never listened to that type of me- music. And, it, and half of it's in Spanish, half of it's English. Uh, Sueños de Dali is the name of the record. It just came out. It's fucking great. She's great. Hmm. I've never recommended Casey Musgraves on this show before, I don't think. But Casey Musgraves came out with an album called Golden Hour in 2018, and I cannot stop listening to it. And I love her so much, and I cannot wait for more from her. She is just such an incredible, incredible songwriter. She's like country, uh, right? Kind of country, but then like you know, Golden Hour has like these moments of just like weird sort of disco-y stuff at times, electronic, <laughs> and I mean, it kind of, it's one of those like Sergio Simpson type of where you blend in the country element, but then it, it's kind of divorced from it. So you don't really know what it is, but it's definitely bass. You got this nice banjo licks on stuff, but then underneath of it is like an electronic sound. And it's like 
that feels weird and new and cool. Um, so I recommend Golden Hour and I recommend Casey Musgraves like wholeheartedly. Uh, finally, the last two, one of them is R.I.P. DMX. I found out that he was one of the first, he was the first artist for his first five albums to go to number one on Billboard. Shit. So that's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty nuts. Um, and then finally, the last thing I'll recommend is something that for us is our favorite thing in the entire world. And I just watched for the first time in probably three or four years, The Room. I watched The Room. <laughs> Why? With Rebecca. Oh, has she never seen Rebecca, it? Rebecca. No. And Christine, her friend. And... My grandma. So all of us rocked the room. And I will tell you, it was incredibly beguiling. I tried to do as many gags as I could, but I forgot them. A lot of them. Um, but they loved it. I mean, the, the, the part they laughed about the most was when Denny was getting robbed and they were doing the shot of like, how much money? What drugs? What drugs were you taking? What kind of drugs do you take? It's nothing like that. What I just needed some money to pay off some stuff. How much do you have to give him? This is not the way you make money. How much? Stop ganging up on me. Well, it is time somebody ganged up on you, for God's sake. A man like that. Where in the hell did you meet a man like that? It doesn't matter. It matters a great deal. A man holds a gun on you, you almost got killed. You expect me to forget that. You're not my fucking mother. You know, that whole scene, they were fucking dying. And I was dying because they were dying. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, you really, at this point in our lives with the room, you just live vicariously. You're like, it's not about me. I, I can't take much pleasure from this movie anymore, but like, I love watching other people. Oh, watch that's it. the whole thing. And even my grandma and Rebecca was just like, are we watching a softcore porn? And I was like, no, yes, no, kinda. like I don't have a good answer for that, but I forgot how heavy the, the, the three softcore porn scenes are within the first 30 minutes of the movie. And then he stops. And I was like, I, I told Beck, I was like, it's spaced out. There's three of them and they're spaced out. Turned out there was four in the end, oh. but the three were like right back to back. Damn. Like right well, back That's because it's all the same footage. It it's all the same footage. It's just like, oh my God. I mean, it's just, and I was like, you know, alien, he's having sex with a belly button. Like, oh, I mean, man. it's everything that needed to be said was said. And at the end of it, they're just like, I don't know what to think about this. This was definitely the worst thing and the best thing I may have ever yes. seen. And they're like, we well, should watch the disaster. Yes. Right. So hopefully at some point we... We do that because they're like, how was this made? And I'm like, that's a great question, guys. Yeah. Let's talk about Wait, that. So what did so grandma that's where think? I've been. She thought it was hilarious. Yes. I mean, I think she was made, sometimes laughing just because we were, but she was definitely, she loved Denny. She loves these random, that kind of character who pops in and is just like, I'm comedic relief. Now, this is a surreal world to love Denny of all people, yeah. but she loves it. There's this like girl on Heartland who just like comes in for the the quip, you know, just the one off like, hey, I'm this character. You know exactly the character I'm oh, kind yeah. of talking about. She fucking loves those characters. So Denny just sort of again showing up to be like, can I get a cup of sugar? I'll come back later. She just like lost her mind to it because it's so funny. Why is this character here? Why is he doing stuff? Oh, Nobody ever shuts the door and they love that. They were just like what doors are they coming in and out of? How, are the, how does this whole house work? What's going on? And I'm like, thank God you're asking the questions we asked back in the day. It felt good. It felt very like, whew. Because I haven't watched it in years at this I point. I haven't seen so. it in forever either. I mean, we we didn't – we might have watched it shortly before we went to see The Disaster Artist, but that would have been the last time. Yeah, which was 2016. I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah. 17 maybe. But yeah, it would have been it would have been a while. So anyways, The Room, if you haven't watched it, oh my God. I mean, it is one of our favorite movies of all time. Well, the rocky beds were flowing, the river softly glowing over crystal times of life. Where the sky intermingles, 
with the rain. The Sierras spilling slowly through the crevices of the mountain, and the dew came swiftly rising. As my mind spun hopeless dreams. Okay, Kelly, this is the end of the podcast, and to save you the time of looking up anything for a gag, I'm just gonna say we already did the gag. We already figured this out. So we are. I was gonna look up the word priest because St. Patrick's Day. Uh... And I was going to make a whole hub of blue and I'd be like, oh, wait, we're going to do a good song to hang out with our friend Kendra. So we are going to be at your place next episode. Having no knowledge of this song, Changing of the Guards, that you're listening to right now. And we will be talking about It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. We sure will. A good song that we will play throughout the entire episode because we learned how to play it and we had a fucking great time doing it. So join us next episode. For It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, a great song to go with another great song that we just did. We've had some great ones and we've had some really bad ones this season. Uh, very Bob Dylan-esque and very Buffy-esque. So yeah. there we are. Any final thoughts, Kelly, before we go? Oh, wow. Yeah, no. I mean, this was a, a long one, but I think the song deserves it. And I'm excited yeah. to see how It's All Over Now, Baby Blue turns out. <laughs> Turns out. And then uh, you'll see what we do. But I can give you a hint because we know uh, at the end of next week, uh, we'll pick a song that kind of has a lot of uh, lots of lot in common with the final two verses of this song. Oh, cool. So stay tuned for a very apocalyptic turn for SOTW pod nice. before we all of a sudden go back into some really dumb song and and we break the vibe. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see you then. <laughs> Kelly, it's been fun as always. Yes, it has been fun. Thank you for listening. OK, goodbye. I can't hear you. But it's all good. We're definitely done. So. It's all good. If you can hear me, then yeah. So have a good birthday. And yeah, just send me the thing and we'll, we'll make sure it works. So I'm going to stop recording now. And though we sung his name, we all went home just the same. He meant to shine to the end of the line. Sing the last of the